Hello, I am Kimberly Adams. Welcome to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us. I'm Kyle Rizdahl. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. If it is Tuesday, which it is, one show, one topic today, TikTok and the push to ban the app that has just taken the internet by storm. I'm sure you thought we were going to deep dive on Silicon Valley Bank, didn't you? But no, Uh, we decided to take a break from the nonstop coverage of that story, which, of course, we're still covering everywhere else, but to go in a slightly different direction about something that is still a pretty big story, uh, particularly here in Washington, because you have a handful of countries, including the United States, that are banning TikTok on government devices. We have colleges that are blocking it on their networks, and efforts uh, on a wider ban have ramped up in recent weeks. So we want to know what's really behind the movement to ban TikTok and how real the threat actually is. So here to make us smart is Forbes tech reporter Emily Baker-White. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So how did TikTok go from being sort of the cutesy song and dance app to national security threat? Well, I think TikTok, like a lot of the other sort of smash apps that we're familiar with, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, began as an app with, with a particular focus. For TikTok, that was a lot of song and dance. Um, But it became so popular that all of a sudden it was the everything app. People were turning to it uh, to search for things the the way that some of us would turn to Google to search for things. And a lot of people are now getting their news on TikTok. And because it sort of reached this point at which it became the everything app, it now has a sort of really powerful hold over our culture and our discourse, not just about entertainment, but also about civics, about education, about health and other sort of important issues that that touch everyone's lives every day. And why is it a national security threat? So people who think TikTok poses a national security threat normally think about that threat in sort of two buckets. And the first bucket is the fear that TikTok, because it's owned by a Chinese company, could be used by the Chinese government to gather information about Americans. Some of that information might be the types of videos that we're interested in watching, but other information like our birthdays, our passwords, and and even our location uh, could also be sort of gathered through the app and then theoretically turned over to Chinese authorities. That's bucket one. Bucket two is the idea that TikTok, which of course is used by 100 million Americans for I think an average of 90 minutes every day, could subtly influence the way that we have conversations about politics, about finance, about sort of other important issues. And that through its Chinese parent company, ByteDance, the Chinese government could seek to use TikTok to influence our public discourse in some way. So these are the arguments and the buckets of arguments that people have when they're saying that TikTok is a national security threat. How real are these threats? That, like, How much evidence do we have that any of this is actually happening? So there is a lot of evidence that ByteDance has pretty, has pretty tightly controlled TikTok. Um, and one of the reasons that I know that is I've talked to a lot of people who've worked at TikTok and ByteDance who have talked about the internal 
distinguishment between those companies being essentially non-existent. So mm. I've learned that email addresses that are at tiktok.com are aliases of email addresses that are at bikedance.com. I've talked to people who actually like signed a contract with TikTok, but received either a W-2 or a paycheck from ByteDance. And so all of TikTok's, um, all of the ways that TikTok employees communicate with one another, their sort of version of Slack, their version of Google Docs, et cetera, is all proprietary ByteDance software. TikTok employees are using a proprietary ByteDance VPN. So ByteDance pretty thoroughly controls TikTok. It's not necessarily just like, the company that owns this company, it's also the company that's sort of running TikTok. Um, now, there has been movement at TikTok to sort of change that. But the tightness of connection between TikTok and ByteDance does raise the threat that the Chinese government might try to use ByteDance to sort of get to us through TikTok. But we don't have evidence that the Chinese government has explicitly sought to use TikTok in this way, yet we have evidence that ByteDance once pushed pro-China messages to Americans through another of its apps. And we have evidence that Chinese state media has used TikTok the same way that they've used Facebook, Twitter, and other platforms to try to reach Americans through their state media accounts. But as of yet, we don't know of an instance of ByteDance or TikTok turning over data to the Chinese government. So let's go from there to the idea that the president or the, the executive branch, as it were, right, will be given the authority by Congress to ban an entire app from America. Uh, how, first of all, how does that work? Well, it's not exactly clear how it will work if the president chooses to do that. There are a couple different ways that he could choose to go about that. What I think we are unlikely to see is a new law or regulation that says individuals who access TikTok are mm. breaking the law. Mm -hmm. I don't think mm. that's going to happen. I think that would cause First Amendment problems. And I don't think... The United States of America wants to do that because that is what authoritarian countries have done when they have cut off access to the internet. And I think we have a really strong legal tradition in this country of not cutting off people's access to information. And so what I think is more likely to happen is that the government will seek to sanction the company, TikTok, or the company ByteDance. If the administration does decide they want to go through with a ban, I think they're going to do it in that way hmm. rather than actually trying to prevent American citizens from accessing information. Hmm. I mean, this isn't the only or the first time that we've heard about other countries trying to sway American political beliefs using social media apps, most famously Russia and Facebook. And I'm sure For that sure. You know, the army of Twitter trolls on, you know, Twitter, obviously, from various countries, you know, do their thing as well. You know, is the only difference here just ownership of the platform? Sure. So, yes, uh, clearly other countries have sought and probably are currently seeking to manipulate our civic discourse through social media today. I think the sort of additional fear here is that because ByteDance owns and controls TikTok, 
the Chinese government might have a better and sort of unique set of tools in order to try to influence discourse in a way that would be even harder to detect than what we saw from the Russian government on Facebook and from some of the other influence operations that we know countries have tried to run. And the reason that is, is because when when the Russian government tried to interfere in our elections in 2016, they were using Facebook like any other Facebook user, right? If the Chinese government sought to use ByteDance to influence what we saw on TikTok, theoretically, the fear is that the Chinese government could require TikTok or ByteDance employees in China to make subtle Mm. um, changes to the algorithm that only employees have access to. It would be like giving members of the Russian IRA back-end access to Facebook. And I think that's sort of the, Mm. the difference in the level of threat. Now, there hasn't been evidence that the Chinese government has done that at ByteDance, but there's also the fear that we might not know if they did. All right, so look, let's get down to brass tacks and do a little public service journalism. Do I have to take TikTok off my 15-year-old daughter's phone? I took Good TikTok luck. off of my phone, and I did it after I learned that ByteDance had sought to use my yeah. IP address-based location information to try to figure out who, which sources were talking to me. Hmm. I don't think ByteDance has as... Uh, as severe an interest in your daughter's phone as they did in mine. <laughs> um, and and it should be noted that if they could access my data in this way, the fear is that they might access other people's data in this way, including theoretically people who are hostile to the right. Chinese government, like dissidents or military actors, et cetera. What did it feel like when you found out that they were tracking you that way? Honestly, I was... I was sort of disappointed and unimpressed because this is a company that was, I, I felt like a disappointed parent, to be honest, because like, this is a company that has tried so hard to gain public trust. They've put so much effort into saying, you can trust us. We are not misusing your data. Yes, sometimes people in China have access to your data, but they're really tightly controlled by a U.S. team. Like they've been making this argument very passionately and repeatedly to lawmakers across the United States, sort of more and more and more over the past year. And guys, why on (laughs) earth? Who on earth thought it was a good cost-benefit analysis to say, yeah, 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 let's pull the American journalist's location data to figure out who's sourcing her? Like, it, it hurt the company so much more than it helped them. They said they didn't get anything from pulling my data, by the way. Um, Hmm. But, like... It just seems like such a poor decision, and it really sort of shakes my confidence in the company's broader decision-making because either the right people weren't brought in to tell them that was a bad idea or there isn't sufficient oversight or not enough people realized it was a bad idea. I really just, I I wanted, I wanted better from this company. <laughs> Do better, TikTok. Do, Do better. better. Oh, All right. Forbes tech reporter, Emily Baker-White. Thank you so Emily, much and enjoy oh, your time goodness. not on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Well, right. I mean, you see your point, right? You guys are trying and, yeah. and you're making your... Talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. Not smart. I don't. I don't know if it's the same thing as happening in where you are, but here in the DC market, TikTok is like running ads 
everywhere trying to like in in the metro station really? there's tiktok ads about how like you can control how much time your kids spend on tiktok oh, wow. they're running like there are ads on like the local i'm sorry there are um what do we call them <laughs> Um, oh, underwriting in public radio. It's underwriting. underwriting it's thank underwriting. you. Sorry. Funding credits. Yes, <laughs> I can't, funding credits. I can't believe Lordy I spaced B. on it. <laughs> My goodness. You're going to have your public radio know, card I, taken away. Basically. Uh, yeah, there are funding credits on local public radio for TikTok. Sometimes running up against stories that's about actually, TikTok bands. It's great. hilarious. Oh, man. So, Yeah. That's great. That? I love that. All right. Uh, if you're on TikTok, uh, let us know. Would you? Why? And why have you not left? Uh, would you take it off your daughter's, your 15 year old daughter's phone? I don't know. It's a good question. I think about that from time to time. And then honestly, oh, her I cold think, dead body. Uh, that's exactly right. I would have to pry it out of her cold dead hands. That's exactly right. Anyway, you can get us at 508 827 6278. 508 827 6278. 508 You Be Smart is another way to do that. Email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Coming right back, we are. All right, news, Kimberly, go. So remember some time ago when Elon Musk decided he wanted to charge briefly $8 a month for Twitter like for verified yes. Twitter status, yes. but basically everybody pranked him and started signing up as various yeah. companies and things. And it was funny, but also kind of weird. And so one of the big examples was the person who imitated Eli Lilly and said insulin is free and uh -huh. Eli Lilly's stock dropped like crazy and they had to come out and say, no, just kidding. We're still charging people too much for insulin. And then lo and behold, <laughs> shortly mm -hmm. thereafter – they did indeed drop the price of insulin. Well, today, Novo Nordisk said it is also going to slash U.S. insulin prices, which is what, you know, the Biden administration predicted would happen. Because basically, once one company drops the price, if any of the other companies want to have any kind of market share, they have to drop the price as well. Sometimes markets work, free mm -hmm. markets work. Uh, and so Novo Nordisk said today that it's going to cut list prices for several insulin products by up to 75% next That's year. Good. And uh, it also it, – it wasn't just the Twitter thing – also, in the Inflation Reduction Act that right. passed last year, it capped insulin prices for Medicare recipients at $35 a month, but that doesn't you know, affect patients without insurance. I, I feel like we still owe some credit to the, the Twitter Oh, for trolls. sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, yeah. But yeah, like it's finally happening. Like this yeah. has been something that's been devastating for families for decades. And um, now – Things change. So as much as we talk trash about Twitter, st things still <laughs> happen on done. Twitter. That's right. <laughs> that's right. No, that's a good one. Uh, okay. So here are mine. Uh, one's more of a make me smile for a Tuesday, but we don't do make me smiles, but I couldn't not say it, but I'll get to that one in mm -hmm. a minute. Uh, I do want to point out the news from today that uh, Facebook's parent company, Meta, is going to cut another 10,000 jobs. That's on top of the 11,000 cuts it announced last fall. Um, the, you know, tech, arguably tech is in a recession already. And I think people just need to keep an eye on that. And especially with SVB and all that stuff, uh, the days are getting no brighter for technology. So that's, that's happening. Here's my make me smile. George Santos, Congressman from New York in all kinds of trouble for lying has filed paperwork to get reelected in 2024. He's going to run again, folks. 
That's all I'm saying. Lying and fraud. And fraud, yes, that is true. <laughs> and fraud and, and who knows what else. And yeah. campaign finance violations yeah. and, and all manner of things. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so. Morning in America. Wow. Yeah. You know what? Again. It's like, I want to find out where he gets the audacity so I can go get some too. Because <laughs> like, there has to be a giant repository somewhere. And it's just like, yep. share the wealth, man. Yeah. All right, that is it for the news fix. Let's do the mailbag. Hi, Kai and Kimberly. This is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things. Okay, we talked a couple of episodes ago, I think, about solar panels, and we asked all y'all to to send us your thoughts and your anecdotes and what have you, uh, and we got this. Hi, this is Megan from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I just wanted to say that I have solar panels on my house. We got a loan for them. It's a 20-year loan. And basically, our our average bill has has stayed the same, including the loan cost. A little bit higher in the winter because we don't generate as much sun because it's (laughs) Michigan. But once Mm. the panels are paid off, then we'll be in like Flynn because in the summer, this last summer, we ran the AC constantly because it was hotter than usual. Yay, climate change. (laughs) And my energy bill in August was $95. So I am very much pro wow. solar panels. I think they're a great investment if you've got the the cash for the you know monthly outlay if you're doing the loan or if you happen to have twenty thousand dollars saved up. Go nuts! Anyway, thanks for making us smart. Wanted to uh, return the favor. Bye. That's super interesting. Super interesting. Really good. Twenty thousand dollars though. I'm not sure I knew it was that much. Well, and also a twenty year loan. Like, what happens if you're not in the house that long? Yeah, Does I imagine the, that, tra- like, that cost transfers of the loan. Yeah. I imagine that yeah. transfers, right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we go, we want to leave you with this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question, which is, what is something you thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? This week's answer comes from listener Rachel in Austin, who sent us this after the SVB fiasco. I thought I knew and understood the risk of working in tech and in startups and knowing that You need to make sure that you have enough money coming in with your paycheck and not banking on equity and understanding looking at the company's books and what their revenue plan is and how to make a smart bet on a company, even with COVID and everything else that's happened. But I didn't see this coming. I don't think anyone in the industry saw it coming. And it really just goes to show you that even when you think you know all the risks that you're taking, you always, always, always have to understand the unknown risk. For sure, for sure. For sure, for sure. Although, just for for all those people at all those tech companies who spent a weekend literally not knowing if their company was going to be able to make payroll, you'd have to be a really, really, really engaged employee to understand that your company is banking at a bank that has mishandled its interest rate risk. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's like second order engagement. And, and if you can be that involved, more power to you. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, that is the downside of these really what can be volatile businesses sometimes. Absolutely true. I was on a call earlier today with um, Eric Gordon um, oh, yeah. at Mich- Michigan. He was, you know, basically going over some of the lessons learned and explaining to people sort of what went down. And, you know, of the lessons learned, he was saying that, like, small businesses and even these startups need to really be thinking about not surpassing the FDIC insurance limits at 
a single bank because like banks want small businesses to keep all of their money there. But maybe you need to spread it out so that you don't, you know, blow past those insurance limits. Don't keep a million dollars of your operating funds mm-hmm. in one bank, you know. But then, you know, if you're a ten million dollar company, that's right. a whole bunch of that, banks. Right, right. <laughs> so, that then just becomes really... this logistical nightmare, and you know, it's a business opportunity probably for somebody who can negotiate the software that's going to handle all that for you. But if you've got a coordinator across, let's see, two hundred fifty thousand across forty banks, right? If you've got ten yeah. million dollars, that's that's not doable. But yeah, but look, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna here, here's my timestamp, my crystal ball on this one. We're going we're gonna to very soon see FDIC and regulator conversations about insuring all bank accounts in this entire economy. Do you think it's going to be all bank accounts up to anything or just higher insurance limits? <sighs> higher, but a lot higher. Yeah. Like what? Like $2 million yeah, or something? Yeah. Two, five. Yeah. Million. That's yeah. what I was thinking yeah. too. I think that's what's but, coming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but with that though, is going to have to come a much stricter set of oversight rules. Well, right. Because if the federal government is going to be on the hook for bailing out people to the tune of $5 million a pop, then that means they're going to really want to know what's going on in these banks' books. Right. But let's remember where this money comes from, right? This money comes from a tax that's levied on banks, right? It's not It's not free money. It's an insurance plan that the banks pay the premium on. So if we're going to raise the limit to 2 or 5 or $10 million, then the premiums are going to go up. And you will see, here's another timestamp, you will see a cataclysmic fight between banks and Congress when -hmm. this conversation comes to an actual vote. Right, because the banks are going to have to pay it, which means effectively consumers are going to have to pay it in the form of higher fees that we pay. Right, or less interest or whatever. It's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess. All right. Uh, Speaking of messes, uh, we will take yours, whatever you've got on your mind. Uh, Let us know. (laughs) whatever you want to share with us. Leave us a voice message with your answer to the Make Me Smart question as well. Our number is 508-827-6278, 508-UB-SMART. We really couldn't get through this show without an SVB thing, could we? No, could not. But that's all right. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. And today's program was engineered by the wonderful Drew Jostad with mixing by the also wonderful Gary O'Keefe. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our acting senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. And Marketplace's vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. What are you playing the long music today? Yeah. We that all are so much smarter about banking insurance than we were a week oh, ago. Yeah. My oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah. yeah, we are. And I don't know that I love that. <laughs> Well, better to know than not. Yeah, I guess. It's just like, here's your cocktail party conversation. FDIC limits for the win. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcast.